If we could turn for our reading in God's Word to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, and from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Preaching through some of the, the parables in Luke, there's of course debate as to whether this section is a parable. Um, not going to enter into that debate, uh, let's just suffice for our purposes tonight that it fits into the little series in, in Luke that we're doing. So, Luke chapter 16 at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades... Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so, And none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, we could turn back to the passage we read earlier. The rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. And in the context for this story or parable, our Lord is engaged in an extended discussion on the subject of wealth, its use and its abuse. The topic of wealth is introduced at the start of chapter 16 in the parable of the 
dishonest manager or the unjust steward. And in this parable, a steward was to be dismissed from his post because he had been caught misappropriating his master's funds. And knowing he was to be found out, this steward, seeing that he was about to be ruined, decided to buy himself favours so that others would look after him once he lost his job. So he took the debts that were owed to his master and he revised down what was owed. A hundred measures of oil owed became fifty. A hundred measures of wheat became eighty and so on. And he acted in this way, writing down the debts owed to his master, verse 4, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And this man is commended from an earthly perspective for having behaved wisely. He took action with money, with debts. And he behaved in a way that bought him favor. And Jesus draws an important lesson from that, verse 9. He says to his disciples, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. A difficult verse, but it just means this. My disciples, use the money God has given you to help God's people. Use your money to bless your friends in the gospel. So that when you fail, when your life and your money wears out, these friends you have helped will welcome you with joy into heaven. Jesus is saying the unjust steward used his money to buy earthly blessing. And you, my disciples, learn from that earthly wisdom to use your wealth for eternal good. And Jesus takes that point and he drives it home by making it very clear that how we use our money reveals our spiritual condition. If we are unwilling to use our wealth for the good of God's people, then that shows we are unfit for heaven. Verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And misuse of money shows we are not fit for heaven because it shows where the love of our heart really lies. If we are not willing to use our riches for the good of the kingdom of God, then why would that be? Well, the only reason can be we love money. We love riches more than we love God. We worship riches and not the Lord. Verse 13, 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now that teaching is searching and it's convicting. And it was particularly convicting for one group of hearers, the Pharisees. For here, verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and ridiculed him. And this ridicule from the Pharisees draws a response from Jesus through verses 15 to 18, leading up to Jesus directly addressing this ridicule from the Pharisees in this passage known as the rich man and Lazarus. One of the most searching, convicting, powerful, solemn passages in all the Gospels, aimed directly at covetous hearts. And there's so much in this parable, we're going to take two sermons to go through it. This evening, we're just going to look at the first half of it under two points. Two contrasting lives, verses 19 to 21. And two contrasting deaths, verses 22 to 23. First then, two contrasting lives. We're introduced, verse 19, to a rich man. And we're told two things in particular about the riches of this man. The first thing we're told is that he dressed well. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. He wore clothes that showed off his wealth. In these days, purple dye and therefore purple clothes were expensive, the preserve of the rich. And so, wearing what he did was just saying to others, I am wealthy. And that kind of display to others was one of the great features of the religion of the Pharisees. Didn't Jesus warn of their prayers? They loved to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen of others. And wasn't their whole religion just this, Matthew 23, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. And that spirit is exactly what is in this rich man here. He wants others to know that he is rich. Behold my purple linen. He covets the opinion of others. That as they see his purple and his fine linen, they acknowledge the wealth that he has. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with having nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with wearing designer labels and expensive suits and whatever else you want to do. But the context here shows why this is wrong. There is a beggar lying at his door. And instead of anything to do with him, here he was flaunting his wealth. A grave misuse of the resources God had given to him. 
and a clear revelation of a heart that didn't love God nor his people, but rather was filled with covetousness and a desire that others would see how great he was. The next thing we're told about the rich man is that he fared sumptuously every day. He ate the finest of food. Whatever he wanted, that was served. The best steak, the finest seafood, the most indulgent desserts. Every day the fruit of land and sea was his. And the idea here isn't just that he ate on his own, but that he's feasting with others. And it's no stretch to say that the idea here is the rich man holds feasts and banquets to display his great wealth. To show his status. And again, the Pharisees loved the status of feasts. Matthew 23 again. They love the place of honor at feasts. And again, this self-aggrandizing feasting that the rich man engages in doesn't reveal a spirit of hospitality because there's an unfed, hungry beggar at his door. It just reveals his covetous desire for status to be seen, to be who he is. But there's one more thing about this rich man to highlight. And that he is an outwardly religious man. This is not some obviously ungodly glutton and drunk. I would hardly picture a Pharisee. And this man himself tells us that he regards himself as religious. Because how does he address Abraham, verse 24? Father Abraham. This man thinks he is a follower of God. This man thinks he is a covenant child of God. And outwardly, perhaps, he seems exactly that. At the synagogue, every Sabbath, dressed ever so smartly in his fine linen, willing, perhaps, to show the right people in the synagogue wonderful hospitality as they feast sumptuously with him, In his house. It was not so much perhaps what this man did. But what he left undone. That showed the real covetousness of his heart. And we see the full extent of the covetousness in the rich man. When we move on to the second character introduced to us. The poor beggar. And what a difference there is in verse 20 and 21 compared to verse 19. Gone are the designer suits and dinner parties. Instead, we have a poor man. No riches, no wealth at all, but poverty in its most extreme. Here is a man made in the image of God tragically reduced to begging. And his poverty seems to be the result of physical distress. Verse 20, he's laid at the gate, which suggests he's disabled to the extent that he can't 
move himself around. He has to be carried. And on top of this, verse 20, his body is covered with sores. He's in great discomfort and pain. The rich man is clothed in fine linen. The poor man is clothed in sores. And just as the beggar has no fine clothes, so he has no sumptuous food. He is so impoverished and hungry that, verse 21, his desire is to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And to add to the sad, distressing picture of the poor man, we have verse 21, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The dogs that roamed the streets of Jerusalem added to his pain, aggravated his sorrowful condition as they licked his sores. And very often dogs in scripture are presented as unclean. What do we have in Matthew 7? Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before swine. And here, the dogs seem to emphasize the humiliating condition of this man. His only companions are unclean dogs. And you know, it's hard to imagine a writer being able to present a greater contrast between two men than we have here. Extreme riches and extreme poverty. But there's one, an even more fundamental contrast between these two figures. And it is this. One of these men is known by God, loved by God, cared for by God, while the other is an utter stranger to the living God. And the one who is known by God is who? Well, the beggar. Verse 20. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. The beggar has a name. God knows him. God calls him by his name. But the rich man, what's his name? He has no name. He's only a rich man. For all his outward prosperity... He is a stranger to God. He is nameless. And the name of the beggar is so instructive. What does Lazarus mean? Well, it means God has helped or God is my help. And here is a man who has nothing. He has no wealth. He has no physical health. He has no means of caring for himself. And yet over him is written, God has helped. And over the rich man is written, I never knew you. And that's there to tell us the great danger of walking by sight. If you were to ask, which of these two men is God helping? Which of these two men is known and loved by the living God. The temptation would be to say, the rich man, of course it's the rich man. But it is not. It's the poor beggar. 
lying at the gate who is known and loved by God. And it's the name of the beggar that reveals the full extent of the sinful covetousness of the rich man. Here at the gate of this wealthy synagogue-going man is a true child of Abraham, lying in great need, famished, pained, licked by dogs. And rather than using his wealth to help Lazarus, the rich man leaves him destitute and goes on using his wealth to show his status and to provide for his friends. And that the rich man uses his wealth in that way just tells us that he is lost. James 2, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The Pharisees, the rich man's actions here, just cry out that he is dead. And you know, Jesus had already said to the Pharisees in Luke 14, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your rich neighbors. But when you have a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. But the rich man shows that he is not blessed, that he will not be recompensed at the resurrection because he leaves poor, afflicted Lazarus to be licked by dogs. And the obvious question for you and for me is, what does our use of our wealth say about us? Does it reveal that our hearts are covetous, that we want to use our money to advance our status? Or are we giving generously to the Lord's people? Showing the spirit of our Savior, who though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. Well, that was the scene on earth, two contrasting lives. Now the Lord moves on to two contrasting deaths in verses 22 and 23. After this description of the rich man and Lazarus, we're told, verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Poor Lazarus dies, we're not told what of, but clearly he dies poor and he dies in agony of body. Nothing is recorded of his funeral, we're not told what happens to his body. But wonderfully we know that in a great contrast to his life, his death was a triumphant entry into glory while no one on earth seemingly mourned his passing. At his death, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Though he was shunned 
by men, an outcast of society, the angels who are ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation, usher him into glory. Though a proud, rich Pharisee wanted him outside the gate, holy angels gather round him, and like chariots of fire, take him into heaven. And there, this man who on earth was lying alone at a gate, is reclining on Abraham's bosom. While he had no place of honor in life, in death he is raised to the place of greatest honor, intimate fellowship with the father of the faithful. On earth he was scorned by Abraham's descendants. In heaven he is embraced by Abraham. And Jesus here is giving us a wonderful picture of the great contrast between life for God's people on earth and what awaits us in heaven. You know, we're told later on in verse 25, Lazarus on earth received evil things. And that's often the case with God's people. What did Paul himself go on to say of his life? We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. But this parable tells us that a day is coming when every tear will be wiped away, when death will be no more, where there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain because the former things have passed away. And Lazarus knows that and knew that here. While by the eye of sight on earth, It would have been hard to believe and understand. Yet eternity revealed that truly God was the help of Lazarus. And for all eternity, Lazarus would enjoy that fellowship. But just as there were two scenes in life, so now there are two scenes in death. In life there was joy for the rich man and sorrow for Lazarus. But at death their places are exchanged. Lazarus now knows great joy. But verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Oh, the rich man has his burial. He has his funeral, the mourners, the send-off, the nice words about how he lived and the success he made of his life and what a great man he was. But that matters not one jot. Because the rich man now realizes what he never understood in life. That the only treasure that matters is the treasure we do or don't have in heaven. All that this man coveted in life, his status, his riches, his wealth, are now worthless. Because at death there is no Abraham's bosom for the rich man. 
There is no come, you blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. All there are are the fearful words, depart. Nameless man, I never knew you. And on his death, the rich man finds himself in torment. We don't know exactly what hell will be like. But the scriptures give us various images. The flame that does not die. The lake that burns with fire and sulfur. The blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The punishment of eternal fire. All of which represent being in the presence of the holiness of God without a mediator. The scriptures talk of outer darkness, which speaks of the isolation and fear that there is in a lost eternity. In life, the rich man hosted banquets and had great feasting. But now there is nothing, no light and joy of friendship. Just outer darkness. And then scripture talks of the worm that does not die. That testimony of conscience saying guilty, guilty, guilty. And whatever and however we understand these images. They do picture aspects for us of a lost eternity. And they tell us that it truly is a place. For those who go there will be in torment. And for this rich man, it is an absolute shock. And that undoubtedly is part of his torment. How, how could he, a child of the covenant, how could he, an outwardly moral man, how could he, a, a man who had so many blessings in life, be where he is now? He lifts up his eyes on death and no doubt horror Fills his soul. What does he see? Abraham far off. And Lazarus at his side. Verse 23. And all his hopes are crushed in an instant. All his life is revealed to him to have been a sham. He a son of Abraham separated from his ancestor. And the miserable beggar who I last saw being licked by unclean dogs. Embraced by the father of the faithful. He knows and realizes that the one I despised in life was blessed. The one I refused to help was a man God loved to help. And at last I see that insofar as I refused to do it to the least of these, his children, I refused to do it to him. He lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And the challenge for us as churchgoers is all too obvious. Are we going to be surprised on our death? Are we presuming on our standing with God? Do we think that because we go to church, all will be well with us? That because we have been baptized, that means our sins have been washed away? 
Do we think that because our life is prosperous, the favor of God must be resting upon us? Well, the rich man here tells us, you can have all of these things and still on your death find yourself lifting up your eyes and seeing Abraham far off. The rich man cries out to us here, make sure that your eternal destiny is secure in life. Learn from the two contrasting lives and the two contrasting deaths. The utter worthlessness of anything that there is in this world compared to salvation in Christ. This parable cries out to us. Never place your joy and your hope in riches or possessions, or outward attendance at church, or any of these things. Place your only hope in life and in death, in Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. Because if you do that, however hard the circumstances of your life are, and for God's people, the people God loves, circumstances can be very hard. If you trust in Christ, ultimately, it will be seen that you have lived well, that you have died well. And trusting in Christ, what awaits us at death is nothing less than being carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. May God give us all that hope this evening. Amen.